This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to Five on Three, WFUV's best, if only, NHL and hockey podcast center ice for all things across the National Hockey League. I'm James Burley, of course, joined by two of our greatest guests that we have available, Lou Orlando and Michael Matuch. We had Matuch last week talk a little bit about the Buffalo Sabres. We've got Lou this week. He's going to give us an extra look at the New York Rangers. But first, this being our final podcast before finals are over, before we head into a holiday break, I just want to uh, send good wishes to both of you. And Lou, I'll throw it to you first. How are you doing in this uh, fine holiday season, man? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I think finals week, it's a weird spot because the other day, the night before an oral exam I had to wake up early for, I was in my bathroom at 5 a.m. watching Carl Hagelin highlights, and I got emotional. So I don't know. I, I think I'm just in a weird, weird mental spot. So I don't I don't really know what to make of that. Um, but overall, I'm I'm doing I'm doing fine. I'm really happy to be with both of you guys. Last I want to say I listened to last week's episode. It was awesome. I'm really happy to be replacing Maddie. I'm excited to be with you guys. <laughs> Replacing Maddie, love that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, same I guess sort of things for me. I mean, my mom got me a Lego Advent calendar, so each sort of day is a new Lego minifigure that I get to open up, and it's Christmas themed. Awesome. That's what's getting me through. Each day I get a new guy, and it's just like adding to my collection. So I feel like that's what's getting me through this final season. Yeah, my Legos, but I can't complain. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I mean. Certainly getting you through this holiday season a little bit better than the Sabres are with yeah. that big 5-1 <laughs> loss to the Avalanche. And because we have you on the show and you are uh, a massive Sabres fan, that's where I'm going to start just briefly to touch yep. on it. I'm not sure. I know you were working last night for the New York Islanders covering that game, which we're going to talk about right mm-hmm. after this. Mm-hmm. Big win, actually, surprisingly, not blowing the lead fully, at least, but uh not so great uh over in colorado where the sabers were at did you catch any of so, the game oh, so it was sabers after dark game started at 10 p.m so i got i'm sitting out waiting for the train i'm like huh you know i'm gonna throw the sabers game out of my commute home and i look at it it's like t- 10 minutes through the first period and it's we're already down three zero and i just knew like typical sabers hockey this is terrible and i saw a clip today of i think the worst defensive scheme i've ever seen hockey-wise ever for a team. All the Sabres players just kept falling down. Rasmus Dahlin almost turned over the puck in the goalie crease. It was disgusting. It was genuinely like the sloppiest hockey I've ever seen. And I... Did you see uh, Did you see Skinner get lit up by yeah. McKinnon? Oh, yeah. man. And he, Skinner's on injury reserve now. He's, he's out. He's got an <laughs> upper body injury because of that. So, I didn't realize. Salt in the wound, dude. Salt in the wound. I I'm, I love Jeff Skinner, so that actually hurts a lot. Love Jeff. I yeah, love Jeff. Jeff Jeff Skinner just uh, came out with his uh, Taylor Swift story. That was pretty funny. That was a too. great story. Yeah. I'm ha- Lou, did you hear that at all? I know he's a Taylor Swift fan. I don't know if I heard this latest. So story. there's a really or, James, yeah. I, I'll preface it, and then you can sort of go into it. So there's yeah, a yeah, photo of Jeff Skinner holding up a Jeff Skinner jersey signed with Taylor Swift when he was still in uh, in Carolina. Yeah, and he's you, James. You you dive in because that photo is hysterical to look at. Yeah, yeah. It's she's holding she's holding the Jeff she's Skinner jersey like a big hockey fan. And the thing is, it was after some Hurricanes game or something at the arena, and he was there to present something to her as a gift from like the PR person for the team. Meanwhile, there's a meet in greet line waiting for Taylor Swift fans, and he gets in the end of that line. So when he gets up after all these little girls who have supposedly won some contest or whatever um, to meet Taylor Swift, she immediately thinks that he's a fan and is about to sign this jersey. Then he's like, no, I signed this for you so you can take a photo. Yeah, so well, that's Jeff Skinner, that man. I'm the group that now. It's, you check it's hysterical. Oh, I have seen Oh, my God, that picture so funny. Yeah, well, shout out, shout out Jeff Skinner uh, and his days in Carolina, of course, oh, now on the injured reserve, unfortunately. Uh, in in buffalo um and that game was kind of lost at the beginning three quick goals for the avalanche and they 
they they just do what they do. They they won the Stanley Cup two years ago and haven't really let the league forget about it just yet. They held on and scored two late ones to ensure the victory. But another team that scored late to ensure victory, Michael Matuch, is the New York Islanders, actually, which I, you know, it was such a great game. I, caught I the was, surprise of a lot of people. It was. It was I, I was really surprised seeing us let up three unanswered goals. That really had me worried for a little bit. Because I thought that the Islanders were – I forgot how bad the Devils are. I forgot how bad the Devils are. Can you guys guess the last time they won a road game? You mean the Ducks? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Huge brain fart games. That's all good. No, I, we know what you meant. I knew oh, what yes. you meant. When was the last time the Ducks won a game on the road? It was – I saw your tweet, so I won't answer it. No, it was November 14th, a full calendar month ago. And since then, they've won, won one game. They've won one game, and it was against the Avs in a shootout. Yeah, well, it's – but seeing us almost lose to that team really scared me. But then, I mean, having that – a sick uh, – with Holmstrom having a sick shorthanded at the end was nuts. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. You 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 asked me something. We, we're going to talk about the yeah. Blues and, and Craig Barabee being, being fired, but you, you asked me about – Lane Lambert's position in, in New York right now. People are saying he's on the hot seat. Meanwhile, I mean, it, with a big crutch from the OT lost points, are in a playoff position and have won eight of their last 11 from what I see. So mm-hmm. if I can ask your opinion, and Lou, I'd love for you to chime in on this. Maybe maybe you can take this one first if you have strong opinions on it. Are the Islanders, like, seriously something that they have to worry about right now? Is is have they turned a corner of some sorts? Because I still hear Islanders fans saying things that are so negative towards this team. Meanwhile, the results are starting to swing their way. So what do I believe? I really feel that they've turned a corner. Lou, if you want to hop in here, you can go. But... Uh, Mitchell, you go first. And then a guy, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll like, yeah. Out of their past 14 points that they could have scored throughout the games, they've gotten 13 points, which is I, I feel is very impressive. That's impressive. The thing is, I feel like this team is kind of like a pendulum. Right now, we're going back to the good side, but now I'm just sort of waiting, holding my breath to see if we regress to a median where we look at Lane Lambert and we sort of see a negative side. Because we're – Devils are, are – oh, wow. why do I keep thinking of the Devils? Devils on my mind. I got – that that Hughes goal was sick in OT, but we'll <laughs> talk sure. about that. But uh, okay. no, the Isles, they've been on a wagon as of lately. I mean, it's what, a four-game winning streak now? I think that if they beat the Bruins tomorrow, it's going to be five. Yeah, so I'm I'm really happy with the way that they are now. And it was the, Lane Lambert said yesterday that it's been a saying for a while within the Isles, but they're right now they're comfortable and uncomfortable situations. And I feel like they were missing that at the beginning part of the season, but now the Florida team is working out its kinks and working out what it wants to focus on as it goes forward. I feel like. There's some prosper in in the in the foreground of this Islanders hockey. I I mean, first and foremost, God bless the overtime loss point because the Islanders have the third fewest wins in the Metro and they're in second place right now. So I think that's hilarious. But I mean, like I really think there's such a divide from the Islander fan perception of their team and the outward fan perception of their team the last two weeks because and maybe it's because the Islanders have not just been on the team this year, but they they know these Islanders very, very well, maybe too well, where, I mean, a couple of days ago, we got a text in our big hockey group chat from Chris Hennessy that was basically like, if if Islanders don't pick up Barabee, like, but before January or whatever, like, that's yeah. Yeah. irate. And it's like, we're in the midst of this really nice streak for the Islanders. I would kind of agree that I think they've turned a corner because of two main things. First off, I'd say their play in late game situations, I think has seen a massive upgrade from where we were at the beginning of the season where i mean look at the what they t- scored two goals against anaheim yesterday to get a comeback win despite the fact that they let up a goal with six seconds left against toronto you come right back beginning of overtime you get an overtime goal let me pull up my notes because they've been doing the, the the game against the kings the two goals in the third period and then the overtime winner three goals to seal it against columbus like you go down the list of these these last few games islanders have been stepping up big time in the third period and I'm, I'll ask you this because I don't I don't think I've ever seen. Have you ever seen Barzal and Horvat play this well together at the same time? 
because they're both on hot streaks, awesome. and I'm not sure they've ever been this hot at the same time. No, it's impressive seeing the two of them mesh together and sort of bring this team forward and keep them in, keep them constantly involved. I I really like to see it. Yeah, that was that was the clearest thing I noticed from watching Devils Islanders this year in person was how good Bo Horvat and Matt Barzal are, are together. And for that reason, it's kind of left Anders Lee out to dry as sort of the odd man out of that line. We talked about this last week where he hasn't really found a place yet in the team. But meanwhile, the Islanders are still surging. And, and his play has picked up as well, which is fine. I mean, we've talked about Simon Holstrom quite a bit as well because he's hit something of a, of a big stride. But for the moment, it seems like the Islanders have, you know, righted the ship enough to be in the conversation moving forward for the playoffs, which I, I don't think that if you'd ask or if you'd had a conversation recently with a New York Islanders fan, it would feel like that. But I guess that's kind of where we are. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to stay like this for a little while because this team does have its shortcomings, but I'll tell you what, they're an energy team through and through. And I, I you know, I've, I've talked with Nick Palmer about this a lot because he always talks about which, Islanders group is the identity line because they have so many. And I was like, you got, you got a team of identity lines. That's what the New York Islanders are. And I think in these last 11 or so games, that's really what they've looked like in the last seven. They've collected 13 out of a possible 14 points. It's, it's really hard to be unhappy right now on the Island, but it seems like that might still be the case. I don't know. Uh, if I mean, we, the, the Metro, go. the Metro is still funny this year where it's like, I don't think there's a single team outside of Columbus that is doing what we expected them to do coming into this year. Right. Teams like the Rangers and the Flyers overperforming of Devils and Canes that have been underperforming. It's like the Islanders are in this weird spot where, they started off the season, I was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of what I expect from them. I didn't expect it to click. But all of a sudden, I think quietly the last few weeks, like the Islanders are very much, I don't, I don't want to say in play for the division because I think it's too early to have those conversations, but I think are very much in play for getting this turnaround and playing the consistent brand of hockey that, I mean, Burley, you talk about the energy, but I'm seeing an offensive firepower from them yeah. that I'm not sure I expected to see from them for even a semi-extended stretch this year. No, that's something that they've tapped into, which is what made th this this turnaround a little extra special. They have a new element to their game that um, otherwise, you're right, we didn't see coming. There's so much in this division we didn't see coming between between Matty Bamonte's Hurricanes not being as good as they could be, uh, between the Pittsburgh Penguins being exactly where everyone expected, but buried in the division because every team's at the same level. It's been a strange season, even when we've seen something we've expected. It's been unexpected. So if I can switch gears over to the other team in New York, let's talk Rangers because they're going to play the Ducks tomorrow and they're going to be still on the road. So they're still going to be looking for that first road win in a little over a month. And if I might add, this might be the toughest stretch of the Rangers season, looking back at the last five, six, seven games while they've gotten wins in the stretch. They've lost three of their last four. And I think it's safe to say, Lou, would you agree with this? This is the first rough patch of the Rangers season that they've had to get through. I would wholeheartedly agree. And I think that Rangers fans kind of sense this coming even before these last four games because, you know, there was a weird little spot when they were putting together wins against like Nashville and San Jose where fans were starting to go, Ooh, the team doesn't look as good as they as good as they looked when they were winning eight straight, and when they lost the game, they would bounce right back. Like there were concerns on Twitter, and it was honestly it was a little annoying because people were acting like the sky was falling. I mean, even right now, the Rangers are still a really good mm -hmm. hockey team, but yeah, they're in they're in a rough patch where that they had a nice win against the Kings, and the problem with that is that the brand of hockey that they played in that game is becoming more of an outlier in this isolated stretch whereas that's the way they were playing for the first month and a half just like basically game in and game out i think i think the injuries have started to build a little bit that the fans aren't necessarily giving credit for i mean the fact that he's been out this entire time was he producing crazy before his injury no but that's a guy that talent wise is a second line center trocek has been awesome i think that's helped a lot but he's been out that's a big hit and then Fans aren't talking enough about how big the Kako injury is, where, listen, I write three points through whatever many games, sure, but what he added on the defensive side alone 
has been a real big detriment. And since he's been out, you've seen the five on five defense take a huge hit. So what Kaka was doing defensively, even with his offensive struggles, was so important. I even think what he was doing on the offensive end with what he's able to do with puck possession and adding some depth to that, your top nine. I think they're starting to feel the injuries more than they were early. I mean, it was amazing that they went in that stretch without Fox and Heedle to begin with. So I I say all this to say, like, listen, I didn't expect them to play at a Boston Bruins best hockey team ever pace the entire season. But we're here now and we have to diagnose it. I kind of expected this a little bit. And we're just, yeah, we're in a little bit of a rut. If I can ask about another thing. Between that 4 nothing loss to the Capitals and the Kings, that was their second back-to-back of the month. Tomorrow and mm-hmm. Saturday, they play their third back-to-back of the month between the Ducks and Bruins. And then a week after that, or a couple weeks after that, excuse me, on the 29th and 30th of December, they play both teams in Florida back-to-back. With these injuries that they've had, I know players are coming in and out of lineup on day-to-days. I think Keandre Miller is the latest of that, as well as getting Heedle and Capo Caco a little more long-term. Adam Fox is back, but... With all these games stacked up close together, has that been a detriment as of late to the Rangers? Because I, if I looked at that schedule and saw the injury list for my team that I root for, which is the Devils, I would be very, I would feel like it was an unlucky time for all these games to come back to. I don't know if that's something that the fans have read much into, but I can tell you it's something that Peter Laviolette is absolutely budgeting into his plans for the team moving forward. Is you think that's of concern, or it's something that you know good teams get over? They'll they'll never say it, but I think absolutely. Because you look at the way this schedule is packed, where even when you do have an, an off-day stretch, it's not for more than two or three days, and that's often coming off of the back-to-back where, I mean, that Washington game was, I think, two or three days after a really bad Ottawa loss. And my mindset was, all right, you looked awful in Ottawa, but let's bounce back. And they looked as slow as they have all year against Washington and weren't in that game for a second. They'll have a goal 40 seconds in and it, it went like that the rest of the way where there was never a moment where I was like, they're, they're keeping up with Washington. I, I think it's absolutely getting to them. I think sure. A mix of that injury and stuff like that. Keandre Miller, it's per, he's out for personal reasons and we haven't gotten any insight into that. So I, I don't even know if I'm going to let myself get concerned about that, but that's just another hit. Barkley Goodrow can't eat solids for a month. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, that was on. crazy. I forgot to mention that. We, that was the crazy. His, he spat a piece of his mouth. It's not craziest. Craziest tweet I've ever read from Molly Walker. Oh no, he didn't spit out a tooth. Oh, good. He spit out a piece of his jaw instead, which is crazy. And he cannot eat solid food for a month. In their most I, recent I, game. Sorry, go, 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 go. I, I, if you have another one, I want to hear your takes. On Igor Shosturkin, because in my mind, that's like that's, the big talking Rangers land right now. And I'm well, that's, for you. that's just what I was getting to, because awesome. when I saw Igor Shosturkin up close in that game against the Devils, he gave up two soft goals. And that was the yep. reason that game got as close as it was. The Rangers were the better team for at least two periods, and the Devils got a couple of gifts in goal. But that was his first game back from injury, and he was clearly rusty. In the time since, he's had good games and he's had bad games. And most recently, he's had a couple of bad games. And yep. on paper, his record, I mean, I don't, I think I sent that tweet today. I saw this tweet. It was really funny. His, his record is on paper worse than Vitek Vanacek. <laughs> Igor's 10 and 7. Vitek is 11 and 5. Um, even though he's been pulled in three games, he's played 18. So that number is a bit skewed in and of itself. Regardless, in comparison, it doesn't tell the whole story. We know this. It's, it's banter, just a bit of banter. Um, as far as Igor's play has gone, it's certainly been overshadowed by how good Jonathan Quick has been. So I'll give the Rangers that. In you know, sometimes I look at Rangers fans and they're like, um, they're they're so ungrateful for their starting goaltender. But lately, I think there's some fans who aren't criticizing it enough because Quick has been good, and there's a lot of fans who are very quick to just jump on the Igor hate wagon because it's just a thing that happens in sports fandom. As for me, I'm not worried about it long term. I've said it a million times. He's looked rusty lately. Maybe there's still something carrying over from the his time he spent injured. That would be my only like explanation for it, other than it's something mental that he's got to go through. But he is the best goaltender in the world when he's on his game. And all he needs is to get back on his game for a two, three game stretch, and then it's never a worry again. You forget that this that this time ever even happened. That's well, that's the I way I look. 
I've got a lot to say, so Matusha, I want to let you go first. Uh, if I were to – a few days ago during the one-on-one, I was saying that Igor was in a funk. And I kind of still feel like he is. But seeing that that uh, that Leafs loss is kind of rough because at, there's a, at a certain point, I kind of expect him to start climbing the mountain and getting better again. And he's sort of in this groove where he's letting up goals that he should be stopping that last year, two years ago, he would have stopped. And it's going to be... It's it's starting to raise some flags thinking about what the team needs to do to get him back to his previous self. I don't know if it just he has a shutdown night and then he just sort of see, he sees that he has one good game and he goes through with the rest of them. I don't know if it's a mental thing, but it's sort of getting to the point where it's like something to be really kind of concerned for. Yeah, maybe I'm too deep in Rangers Twitter, but like James, I'm not seeing a ton of quick quicks play overshadowing the criticism of Igor. I'm Fair. seeing a lot of people asking if Igor is still a good goaltender. And it's, I, I, I don't always align with the views of Paul Bizonet. And I, I kind of laugh when he talks about Rangers fans and how he hates them with all his heart as a Ranger fan myself, like that, it makes me laugh. I don't take it too seriously, but I do think there's something to man. Sometimes Rangers fans are insufferable because I mean, I'll just say this. Listen, it's one thing to raise concerns about Igor Shosturkin's play because that's valid. Igor Shosturkin, post-injury, has not looked like himself. And it's a weird conversation that Jonathan Quick is completely outplaying Igor Shosturkin. That's a weird feeling for Rangers fans. And the fact that Igor hasn't been top of the game, listen, we can have conversations about how and why that's happening, and that's completely valid. But I'm not going to sit here and listen to Rangers fans ask if Igor Shosturkin is going to be a good goaltender anymore. Like I, I legitimately want to know if having a Vezina season two years ago where you were one of the best goal, you had one of the best goalie seasons of all time. Does that mean anything? And not even that to go into the next year, struggle for the first half and then completely turn on where you were legitimately one of the best goalies in the second half of the season and stood in your head in the playoffs against the Devils just to take that game to seven games. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't chronically online for Henrik Lundqvist. I know Twitter wasn't as big of a thing as it was for Lundqvist. And listen, I get Lundqvist had a longer career and a longer tenure of excellence. But like, I don't remember dialogue happening about this with Lundqvist when he would have down stretches. And it's so it's so confusing to me why fans are so quick to jump on this Igor doubt train. I mean, Igor's James. You said all the time, Igor when is at his best is one of the best goalies. In the sport right now, I, I agree he's probably the best goalie in the world when he's at his game. And like at one on one, Will Jing asked if we if we should be considering starting Jonathan Quick. And I'm like, no, they're like Igor Shesterkin is Igor Shesterkin, man. I'm gonna get that gets so much leniency right now. He, like, even though it looks bad, right? Last three games, four plus goals allowed. It, he's allowing goals that we usually don't see from him. I want to bring this up. The defense in front of him compared to the defense in front of Quick is startling. And I, Quick has talked about, especially in the Kings game, he felt like the team played for him and wanted to get him that. And he only allowed one goal against the Kings, had a great game. The defense plays really well in front of Quick, and they don't play well in front of Igor. I have concerns. You think back, you think of that Toronto game. There are some goals that Igor doesn't have a chance of stopping. The Marner deflection, like that's perfect. It goes right above like the low pad. Like that's... What are you going to do? One of Marner's goals, it's a perfect you know, feed from Matthews where Marner's closer to the net than Igor is, and there's no chance of stopping it. I worry about Igor's positioning a little bit because I feel like he's getting drawn out of the net a bit more. And one of the things that came up in Toronto was that he wasn't seeing the puck well. The Matthews' goal from the point, the first one, like he didn't pick it up until it was in the net. And I know, like, hey, goalies get screened. I think sometimes you put the onus on them to be able to look around the screen, so... I definitely have worries about Igor's positioning and not stopping pucks that he usually stops. And again, all those concerns are valid. In the same breath, Igor Shashurkin is one of the best goalies in the league, and I'm going to give him as much time as he needs to get himself right because he went through this stuff last year and he got himself right. So I'm not I'm not going to entertain stupid questions and these stupid debates online about how Igor Shashurkin is now a bad goal. I, it makes me upset. Because this isn't the first time we've heard the fans say this sort of thing, and it's not the first time where he's gone through a rough patch. 
and and I say rough patch with incredible like incredibly big over encompassing vagueness because it's a very short period of times where he hasn't looked great. I think you can I pointed back to the injury because there were a couple other games in there where he didn't look spectacular, but right. a, a, among starting goaltenders in the National Hockey League, he's tenth in goals saved above expected. That's behind only barely Ilya Sorokin, just behind Jordan Jordan Bennington and Joseph Wall of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But he's right in the mix with the upper echelon of goaltenders in the league. After Igor, by the way, is the biggest drop-off in the list to Sergei Bobrovsky <laughs> of the Florida Panthers, and everyone else is in a similar pack there. So to put him in the say that he's not as good uh, as he once was or that perhaps he's no longer a starting caliber goaltender is, is very much unfair. The numbers don't even agree with that, even if... You know, it's felt worse than it has in the past. Um, that's just where we're going to leave it. I, 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 These next two games are pretty big for the Rangers in terms of getting out of this slide. They play the Ducks tomorrow night. You're going to be there, Matuch. You saw the Ducks. Um, is there anything specific that Lou should know about before that that you think the Rangers should exploit? Or do you think that this should just be the game, Rangers game they run up and, well, and, and go win, this, play their own game? If this isn't the Rangers get back game, then I feel like that's the biggest sign because the Devils or um, the Ducks they can't really get things going. They've had they've had the entire first period they had two shots on goal. So I feel like that just sums up their, their offensive schemes. With yeah, but they have, out, sort they of have Ryan Stroman for Toronto, so that's a big revenge game for them. And Rangers, the Rangers yeah, do true. really poorly against their former players, so I'm expecting. I'm expecting a Ryan Strom hat trick, and I'm just like, there's nothing I can do about it. Ryan Strom hat trick, man, that's a that's a blast from the past. But we're gonna chug this one along across the Hudson River. We're gonna talk Devils real quick. Big big win last night, coming back down one nothing. Two weak periods, and then they turned it on in the third, tying it through Dawson Mercer, who has been, you know, a little more quiet than he than some Devils fans would have hoped. But he came up with a big tying goal in the third. Jack Hughes. Overtime winner on a great feed from Jesper Bratt. Vitek Vanacek not only had a stand-up great game, his first in, in a long time, um, came up big with an assist in OT as well. So love that from V. He's really turned a corner, I think, but he's still not anywhere above league average as a goaltender at best. Uh, so that was what excited me most about the game last night. Devils came off of a pretty successful, I would say, uh, Pacific Northwest road trip, beating the Canucks, Kraken, and Flames. They beat the Canucks in very impressive fashion. We talked about that last week at last-minute goal uh, by Jesper Bratt in the game which all three Hughes brothers played. Uh, and then eventually they ran out of steam and got overrun by the Edmonton Oilers. They never looked for a second like they were going to win that game at all. But then they come against one of the toughest teams in the league, albeit without a couple big players, uh, namely without Pavel Zaka who has scored four goals in three games against the Devils since being traded uh, for Eric Halla. So that's a, a great statistic for Pavel. I'm hope he, I hope he's happy that he that he does so well against the Devils. Anyway, he didn't play, so the Devils won. They got it in OT, and now they're going to travel out to Columbus before they host the Ducks this weekend. I think things are trending in the right direction for the Devils. I don't want to say too much has gone right, but four out of their last five, and the goaltending has been marginally better, uh, if not incredibly better. Uh, and as for the defensive scheme of things, they seem to have gotten a hang of which guys should be playing together and how to keep the puck out of super dangerous chances. They still give up odd man rushes. They weren't they weren't giving up as many odd man rushes as people thought, but now they're giving up fewer of those and fewer more dangerous chances, which has really changed things. Even though the numbers just show that if this team had a competent goaltender, they would be much better off than they already were. I'm not entirely buying that because I do think that advanced statistics don't tell the whole story. As it is, the Devils are in much better shape than they once were, and I think they're starting to play like the playoff team. Everyone knows that they really are. I don't I don't know if it quiets. It, it doesn't quiet the conversations that are going to be had about the Devils with their goaltending situation, but I will say that Vitek Vanacek was really fun to watch last night, and I don't know how many times you've been able to say that. And uh, I mean, I think that's clearly his best game of the season, James. You can tell me. Otherwise, I thought Boston had some pretty solid pressure last night, and I mean, Vitek keeps that a one-goal game for a while. It gives you guys a chance to tie it in the third period, and then you win it in overtime, and that's, that's Boston, man. Like, Boston's a whack. 
I think that's a really, it's a really impressive win for Jersey. And I'd say, especially on this stretch, I've liked the way they've played against the top, top teams. And that Canucks game was really solid too. Even going back to the way they played against the Rangers. I know there's, you know, probably a lot that could be better about the Devils season so far, but I will say for the most part, when they've gone up against the best of the league, we've kind of see them step up to the task there. I think that's kind of neat. And something I, ex- I expect from this, this Devils team. I'm looking forward to seeing this Devils team get so much better as the season goes on because they, like like Lou, like you said, they compete well against these upper echelon teams. And I feel like this game just proves it. But I feel like, I know that we say this every single time, but Jack Hughes is sick. He's so good. Yeah. So sick. Yeah. This is true. And I wish he was on my team so I could see him. I'm so jealous of you, James, because you get to see him every single day when you get to go. I'm very lucky. It's impressive to see the, this Devils team. And I'm I feel like they have great aspirations as the season continues to go on. Yeah, and just to put a number to how good Jack Hughes has been, he is far and away the best rush player in the National Hockey League. And when he has space on three on three, there there there, there is no stopping him. Like I guess the only player you could say that's better than him at three on three is Connor McDavid, but the numbers would actually defend Jack because he creates 2.1 rush chances per game, which is far higher than second place in the league, which is David Pasternak at 1.5. So that was fun that we got both of those guys on the ice at the same time last night, but it was a monumental win for the devils because former Buffalo Sabres uh, legend head coach, Lindy Ruff has now tied Ken Hitchcock, excuse me, Ken Hitchcock fourth all time in wins. 849 he coached the rangers as a defensive coach on the bench for a little while before his time in new jersey so a little bit of flavor for all three of our teams here uh one of the more legendary coaches in the national hockey league history although has never won a stanley cup devils trying to change that i don't know if they will but i'm happy for lindy he he can be a bit of a quiet guy sometimes but he he's a good man and, and he really does work hard and he deserves to have th- these uh accolades go his way he's been coaching for 22 years in the NHL, one of the greatest servants of the game we've had in our lifetimes. And I don't think we uh, give enough plaudits to, to long-term coaches, especially when some of them uh, really don't deserve it. I think Lindy Ruff is one of the great ones that we have in our sport. So very appreciative that I get to cover his team and get to um, speak to him occasionally after games because he's sometimes cagey with the media. I, I will admit that. Unlike Lindy Ruff, though, <laughs> a coach who's maybe had something of a shorter tenure in the NHL as chief Craig Berube, who's actually, I think he played like 20 years in the NHL, maybe maybe 20 years, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't the greatest comparison, but either way, we're talking about him. He's fired, and it happened right after their loss to the Detroit Red Wings, which I don't think I've ever seen something come out so quickly after a game since, well, there was a soccer managerial hiring that happened during a game, but that's soccer. That's a totally different world. They're crazy. We don't have to talk about that. Um I'm surprised that this decision happened, you know, only so f- closely removed from a Stanley Cup title. But that thinking about it, that's further back than it than it feels that or than it. Yeah. Four years now. Oh, man, man. Oh, man. Regardless, a 6-4 loss to the Detroit Red Wings, who are having a much better season than anticipated, normally wouldn't indicate uh, you get fired. But when you lose four in a row, um and you've had a much more underwhelming start to your season than expected. These things happen. So, Matuch, I'll go to you first on this one. What was your initial reaction, and, and where do you think they moved from here? I was kind of surprised because looking at his track record, if I, a Sabres coach had this, they would be cemented in Sabres' legacy. He mm. Last se- season, he missed the playoffs, which is for the first, second time of his coaching career. Then he, uh, 2021, 22, he loses in the second round, then he loses in the first round, loses in the first round, and then the Stanley Cup. I feel like his track record is there to keep his coaching tenure, but seeing the depth or the, the Blues jump to a start that no one really expected, they expected a lot more from that team. And if we're really going to all pin it on Barube, I feel like that's a little tough to do. I would consider it maybe this is sort of what wakes up things from the team itself but i'm surprised by this move i mean right like it, it is a little weird because Majuja, right like up until last year under Barube, st louis had always been one of the top teams 
in the Western Conference. I mean, like 109 points in 2022, I think. And obviously you have the cup in 19. But I do think it was revealing, you know, the GM, Doug Armstrong, had a press conference. And I think it was basically like, if I got fired today, I don't know if I'd be able to say that I left this this franchise in a better place than I found it. And that's a tough thing for me to swallow. I think that's a little crazy because, I mean, first off, he got, you know, he and Barube got them a cup in 19, and that run was magical because you look at where they were halfway through that season and then that turnaround. And obviously, you know, St. Louis, I think, has been pretty well built until they decided to trade a lot of their pieces off last year. But, like, St. Louis has been a consistently good franchise the last few years that for them to feel that strongly about their struggles for, I guess, the last year now into this, the start of this season, they probably, they're probably harder on themselves. And I think outside that most of us in the media has been on them. I, I was surprised by this simply because I don't think that the St. Louis blues team right now is as good as it has been in the past few years. And I look at their roster and I'm like, which of these guys are supposed to move the needle in this division where I'm supposed to be convinced that they these guys are the team that they once were four years ago. And and look, they turned it around with a really solid team then and put lightning in a bottle between January and June in 2019. And that is ultimately what Barabay's time is going to be remembered for, is for that run because that's what things are remembered. And maybe that he was let go a little bit unfairly and that one of the you know hotter commodities in NHL coaching is now on the market for teams to look at. Outside of Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, and, and Pavel Buchnevich, who, who isn't the player that he was when he was blossoming in New York in his first couple seasons in St. Louis, if you ask me, um, I don't see that this team looks like a playoff team on paper. And yeah. if that's the standard you hold for your coach, there's – you really need him to make them better than the sum of their parts. I think that's an unfair standard to have, even with a team that holds it so highly. And specifically with regards to the quote, did they leave the St. Louis Blues better than when they found it? Of course they did. The Blues were an afterthought before they came in. So that surprises me. Uh, as as for the where they're going to go from here, Drew Bannister is the interim, and no one really knows a lot about that guy. So we'll see what things look like moving forward for the St. Louis Blues, but I didn't pencil them in as a playoff team before the season because of the players they had. And I, I think that's more along the lines of general management as opposed to game management. So that's just the way I've seen it. What, what I'm so confused about, and it's, it stems a lot from moves they made last year. Like when you trade Tarasenko and Riley, who were two huge parts of that run, and I, I think there were more players that they traded off you know, last year as well that I'm forgetting at the moment, but Tarasenko and Riley in my mind were the two big ones. But then you look at that roster and it's like, all right, well, are they trying to rebuild? Because there's not a ton of youth on that roster. Like they're one of the older teams in the league. I think if you look at average age on the roster, like they're right around like the Rangers and Tampa and a lot of the teams that are trying to be contenders right now, where I mean, yeah, like Thomas and Cairo are, are younger guys. You have some youth on that roster. But for the most part, like you have guys that are either established players like Buchnevich or are, are veterans. And so I'm just so confused what the direction of this team is. Cause it doesn't seem like they're trying to rebuild. And I think the move to fire Barube emphasizes and reinforces that concept. But like you said, James, like this team is not built to be a contender at the same time. They're just in this weird, I think like awful middle ground. Lou, that's a really impressive idea that you just had because I don't know a lot. Of, I know one Blues fan. He's my my buddy Juan. Juan visited me from Spain in 2017 on an exchange trip, and now he goes to school in St. Louis. And I was the one who got him into hockey as a as a sport. And Lou, you and him have the same exact take. On Let's that go. Because that was that was honestly so impressive because. Juan in his in his in his Spanish accent, he, whenever we text on WhatsApp, he tell he's constantly telling me like, "Where is this team going for?" I, when I told him that he he's back in Spain now, and he I texted him at like three in the morning his time that his coach was fired, and he was he was very surprised because he has the same idea where it's like, this team is getting older; they don't really have that great of a future going forward, and. To pin it all on the co- at least at least not but back to me now. I think to pin it all on the coach and not sort of the players around is 
is kind of sad because yeah. I feel like if they, I feel maybe just a wake up thing, like obviously trading O'Reilly away and Tarasenko is a huge blow to any team to, to, to trade your upper echelon guys away. But then just to not have any faith going forward, I think is kind of surprising. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, Burley, I, like Burley, you got to it when you're saying like, I think it falls more in the front office. Like Baruby's taking the fall for the front office because absolutely has no direction. And I don't know if they have that many leaders. Like you trade a guy like O'Reilly and even Tarasenko to some extent, like those guys were leaders on that cup team. Whereas like now all the pressure was on Baruby to lead this team. And I'm not sure that they, like, again, there's just no direction. That's a front office thing. Well, you know, let's do it this way. Ryan O'Reilly was constantly compared to what other player in the National Hockey League? Constantly. And the answer is Patrice Bergeron because they play very similar ways. Both of those guys left their their teams that they had been with for a very long time at the end of last year. Both of those teams look very differently. They lost a very similar piece in each of those teams. And look at the Bruins. They lost that entire generation now. That, that, that time is gone. You know, they're past Tuka Rask. They're past Patrice Bergeron. They're past David Krejci. They continued to be good. That's a team that you lost to in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's the St. Louis Blues if you're the Boston Bruins. But the Bruins have continued to be good. The Blues have not. They got rid of those players and they didn't have a plan. And now they're blaming the coach for it. I think it's entirely on the front office. You could, I mean, maybe you expected Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to put up more points than they are this season. But no, that'd be an unfair expectation on those players. The expectation should be on the general manager to get new ones to play the position of the former guys. But I digress. I think that we, as a sports culture, put too much blame on coaches regardless uh, and put too much praise on them maybe when the team succeeds. But that's neither here nor there. I think if we um, if we want to bash on some teams, front offices and ownership, maybe a little bit more, let's look to the nation's capital um, just real quick. Moving away from downtown Washington, D.C. and into the Potomac Yard of Virginia, it's basically approved now that the both the Washington Wizards and the Capitals are going to be moving out of Capital One Arena and into the state of Virginia, which is pretty far away from the central hub of the city limits, from what I'm told. And fans aren't very excited about it, but there's this whole new development coming. Uh, for $2 billion with a sports arena and a concert venue and for a whole city center plaza type thing. And it seems that that is the direction that the capitals are taking. And, you know, I really appreciate have I think New York Rangers fans really appreciate the fact that the Rangers play in Manhattan and not on the outskirts of the city. And I think New Jersey Devils fans lately have really appreciated the ability to, play, to see their team play games in Newark where Metro and everything is pretty central and not so much East Rutherford, where you had to drive everywhere. It looks like that DC is going to be the uh, latest to skimp out on their city and head into Virginia. I, I think it's upsetting. I'm sure that there's some money-making venture for both the government and the team's ownership alike, but I'm not a fan. You You try to cater to your city and you put the fans where they can get to the game easier and apparently this is going to be from what i'm hearing from people in the dc metro area this is going to be a logistical disaster to get to games if you're from maryland or you're from dc itself so i guess it's a win for if you're from northern virginia but i don't know who else i mean i feel like this are, yeah. you, 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 no matush you take it man i insist i feel i don't really this is sort of being becoming a trend for teams to move out of a city and get this whole like the, the i feel like the only team who's done a good job of this is the braves and they've did a really good job of investing in the community around but i feel like overall as teams are moving to a bigger venue it doesn't really do much as in, in fan atmosphere in my opinion I've looked at studies in the past to see how if you invest in the area around a stadium versus versus not doing it, how it has an effect on the community. And it really, at least in my opinion, it doesn't do too much. I mean, look at the Yankees. They've been in the Bronx for nearly 80 years now. And it's 
the area around Yankee Stadium isn't always the greatest place to go hang out with your kids. So <laughs> if that's what people are saying, like they're they're doing this to like get like a fan environment. Obviously, you can't really build up around New York City, but I don't really I understand the move business wise, but I don't understand it as like a fan demographic wise. This isn't what fans want. This is what the owners want. And it's I feel like this is another domino in the step of teams moving and it's not 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 i i think a really good comp because it's not like hartford moving to carolina or something like crazy but i think it's like when the islanders decide to play a lot of their games in barclays i th- like mm-hmm. and you ask any long island fan because again where are the islander was the majority of the islanders fan base in long island how they felt about it. Listen, it's not that they still couldn't get to the arena. Like you can get to Brooklyn from Long Island. That's it's a trip. It's a more annoying trip than just driving to Nassau Coliseum, but you can do it. But fans were outraged and it was a monumental flop. And I think when you think about Washington capitals, uh, Washington is a big sports hub. I think the unique thing about the capitals is that the NHL doesn't have a Baltimore. So Washington and the Washington Capitals fan base, you know, you're getting people from Maryland, you're getting people from Baltimore all the way down through probably the northern, the top half of Virginia. I'm sure there's some border where people become Carolina fans, but you're probably getting a pretty good bit of Virginia. But that's on the south side of your fan base border. You have a ton of fans in Washington. I think you have a ton of fans in Maryland. Well, to move into northern Virginia and listen, physically, it, it might not even be that big of a move because there are areas of Northern Virginia that are right, right next to DC. Um, I'd have to do more research on where exactly they're moving, but it's still, I think you're moving away from the core of your fan base. And I don't know, why would you want to move out of DC? I think that's, I mean, that's just such a cool hub to be in. And it's been the home of their franchise. It's been the home of their franchise. I think Washington fans were really stoked when they won the cup. Like that is a passionate fan base. I just, again, I get like the whole, you might be able to get, a better venue and all that stuff. But to me, I I think it really is an unnecessary move that I think the fan base is going to be upset with. And that you try not to aggravate your fans generally. I just set up, or it's just, it's a half hour drive from the current Capital One Arena to Potomac Yard where they're planning on building. Right. So I think what Barclays is from areas of Long Island is probably like a 45 minute to an hour train ride. So I mean, kind of in the same conversation and Barclays didn't do the same numbers and Long Island fans were so enraged with it. And Barclays ended up being a bad venue to watch hockey. That's what made it, you know, worse. So listen, if if this Potomac area ends up being a great venue and it's awesome to watch hockey, like I'm sure it won't be as big of a deal. But it's still again like Washington's a great sports town. Why would you want to move out of DC? If if I may chat a little bit about the beautiful game for a moment soccer stadiums and hockey arenas in this country are pretty similarly sized in terms of capacity around they hover around twenty thousand, and there is this ongoing trend and it's actually it must be the case in if you want to have a new team in major league soccer is this the stadium must be within the city limits of that city and throughout the history of new stadiums cropping up in the U.S., that's been the case for every single one of them. Even in D.C., Audi Field, built in 2017, open 2018, home of D.C. United, had to be inside the limits of the city because that is the easiest way to attract fans to the sport. Now, soccer, of course, has a little bit more of an uphill battle to do in finding fans to support the teams uh, than the National Hockey League has to do, but there's a reason why that's an incentive. There's a reason why the Chicago Fire put a stadium in a town called Bridgeview, Illinois, which is like 40 minutes from downtown Chicago and have abandoned that stadium. They don't play there anymore. It's a stadium that was built by them for them. They play where the Chicago bears play because it's in the city limits. Uh, The Columbus crew created the first ever soccer specific stadium in this country in the nineties. It was outside the city limits of Columbus. They have abandoned it. They have a new stadium now called lower.com field within the city limits. It's important that these things exist there. One of the biggest criticisms that I hear as a fan of the New York Red Bulls is that they play in Harrison, New Jersey. Now, granted, the team has always played in New Jersey and the majority of their fans are from there. That still very much isolates a big part of their fan base, which is primarily in New York City. 
So therefore, people are denied the opportunity to see their team play. They grow a disassociation with it. And all these things could happen or they couldn't for the Washington Capitals. I'm just saying, why would you open that door up? I'm sure you're going to make a lot more money from this new venue and the new developments around it. Um, And that's great. I'm happy for you. Happy for local economy to be thriving. That's awesome. All good stuff. It's going to bring about jobs, I bet. But what it could do is is could ostracize some of the fans. And Washington, D.C. is a bit of a different city where not everybody who identifies with the area lives within the city limits. It's a very particular city in that regard where they get people from all over, not just one area. So, yeah, like you mentioned, especially because Baltimore doesn't even have a team, they're doing a disjustice to the people of Maryland who support their team, I would say. But, you know, this is still years away from taking place. I don't think they would move in until the next five, six years at the earliest But regardless, we've got more to talk about in the hockey world, even if briefly. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, All-Star Weekend. we got some news that the skills competition is going to look a little different. Instead of a different group of players competing for each competition, it's going to be a field of 12, I guess. How many players participating? Yeah, 12 players participating in all eight events with the opportunity to qualify for the final two. So it's going to be an eliminate them as they go. I think this is a better system personally than just seeing four different players do a bunch of different things. I think it's this could literally be like a competition to decide who is the best player in the National Hockey League. And I think that's what could it come it could come down to in terms of how these guys go about doing this. Like they just want to be the best at everything. And I think that's a pretty good uh, incentive to host a competition because normally the skills competition and the all-star game in general is kind of just, you know, just a kick around of sorts where they just mess about. And that's fine. That's fine. But if it's worth my attention, I want there to be stakes. And I think this sounds like stakes. What do you think, Lou? I mean, I think, right, most hockey fans would agree that the NHL All-Star game, it's been pretty abysmal the last few years. They've tried a bunch of different things. And I'm not sure really any of them have worked. But, like, that's – I made that joke about watching Carl Hagelin highlights and – I think the reason I did that is I saw in this news and I saw that everyone was going to do the fastest skater competition. That's one of the six that everyone's going to have to do. And I was like, I remember when Carl Hagelin won the fastest skater competition. Like that was fun. I was a Rangers fan. I got a huge kick out of that. Um, and so I like, I think this encourages, right. You want to see the best players do all the skills competition. That's why like, like I want to see McDavid do everything. I want to see Matthews do everything. I really want to see McDavid in this, in the fastest skater competition every year and I want to see you know especially like Jack Hughes I want to see if there's anyone that can take down McDavid I, I like that the main six skills competitions that we usually think of is like oh those are fun to watch no matter what like yeah make your 12 participants do all of them add a level of competition to it where each one matters and you're building towards something you're you might be if the, if the award is or the the crown you get is the most talented player at the all-star game that's a cool crown to get, man. And that's something that I think the NHL can really market. And so, yes, they need to switch things up with the NHL all-star game. I think this is a step in the right direction. I'm at least pumped. I mean, we'll see it in action, right? But I'm at least excited for the prospect of it. I think it's going to be cool just to see the bracket style of who's really better than the next guy, than the next guy, than the next guy. But they're ending this with a NHL obstacle course. I've only seen a little bit of this, but I think that's sort of a decently cool idea just sort of to like throw something in there at the end i mean what are your guys' thoughts on that just because i feel like that's so different than everything else i'm curious with how they design it yeah because it starts with that fastest skater shot stick handling one timers passing accuracy and then it goes to the elimination with the shootout and then the obstacle course so i think that's going to be the determine the winner but i am i am most excited really to see how they pick this field of 12 because yeah. just the first the first two competitions alone are not typically decided by the same crop of players. The fastest skater and the hardest shot. Like, can you imagine Shea Weber competing for fastest skater or like <laughs> Jeff Skinner competing for hardest oh. shot? Like, that would be really funny. I don't know. I, I think I think it's um it's going to bring about something, a new flavor to the All-Star game, which is desperately needed. Ever even like the three on three didn't really do much for me in terms of the level of excitement. I think this is clearly a step in the right direction in terms of uh, in, improving it all. Um, and yeah, I think the obstacle course especially is going to be that's going to be interesting. I don't even know what that's going to look like. It's going to probably encompass a bit of speed skating at the end, a shot you might have to 
might have to put on an accurate shot, probably stick handling. It's probably going to have encompass every little bit of hockey. I hope that at one point they make you like skate backwards or something just to just to mess with you. But yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. I, either way, I think it's a step in the right direction. And I'm you couldn't tell I couldn't tell you this any other year in my life, but I'm kind of excited for the NHL All Star Skills competition this year. With the bracket, like I wonder if because one of the things is the shootout. I wonder if the goalies start trying in the shootout now that there's like an actual yeah. right. The shootout's basically been like the dunk contest without any reward where it's guys go out there and they try and pull off the craziest move that they can. And the goalie is just there to be there. And he's not going to really stop the shot. Like, so I wonder now with like this shootout thing is if it's part of the competition, like are we getting goalies in net that are trying to stop these shots? And I think that's one of the biggest things with the NHL all-star game is that, all right, the defense really isn't trying. And like that kind of like, like baseball works because baseball, you don't have to, do a ton of like physical stuff and football I think has found something nice in flag football where guys don't have to tackle. And now you can actually try and stuff like that basketball and hockey where they suffer is that when there's no defense, what it basically becomes is like Harlem Globetrotters like, Oh, let's just see what people can pull off. I think at least with the skills competition and incentivizing it, like maybe you get goalies trying to stop shot. And like, I just think you add this layer of competitiveness that players can actually try without risking injury or without like, they, there's a reason for them to try. And that's really the secret juice to making this. Mm-hmm. Matush, anything you want to add? I'm just looking forward to this. I feel like this is a glimmer of NHL and that Gary Bettman, who's who's done terrible things for this league, and seeing him do something <laughs> kind of cool, it's just I'm I'm giving it a thumbs up. I'm giving it my yeah. thumbs up because it's just an excitement to this sport that that it needs. Yeah, when you know. I don't know if I'm going to be credentialed to attend this event yet, but one last thing I'm excited about, and real quick, this is what we'll end the show on. On February 17th, when the Devils host the Flyers at MetLife Stadium, New Jersey legends, the Jonas Brothers, got a 30, 45-minute concert beforehand. That's a great get for the NHL. First of all, first of all, the Devils fan, like the group of people who are not Devils fans but are casual Devils fans, are very much the same group of people, and I'll let you guess who they are who listen to the Jonas brothers, or at least come from the same demographic of people who listen to the Jonas brothers. Um, So that's a huge W right there alone. New Jersey band check Um, could bring in new fans to go to the game. Check. Like this is a home run of a band selection. I was worried they were going to get some lesser known New Jersey punk bands. The the ultimate get would have been Bruce Springsteen, but I think, uh, I think I would have been very excited with the Jonas brothers. Boom. My Chemical Romance, also New Jersey, would have been sick. But regardless, I think this is a W. And yeah, the Joe Bros are back better than ever. How how awesome That's was the video of them revealing it, though? Like, that was hilarious. I loved Pretty it. Sick. It was awesome. Pretty sick. They um, did the whole, you were from we're from Jersey, like the we're from da-da-da awesome. uh, template TikTok. And it was good. It was good. It was, it it, was sick. They got a lot of personality where I think, like, I... I know Springsteen is iconic, but I honestly think that the Jonas Brothers is probably the best possible selection. Like, maybe oh, yeah. not, I, agree. I, I agree. I don't know if the older fans even care about who does the concert, right? Like, I think they're, but, but no. you get the no. younger audience, and the Jonas Brothers are going to be able to have, like, they're really good entertainers when they're on stage, and they like to have a lot of fun. Like, I think they're the perfect selection. Like, I don't, I don't know. I haven't been on every single podcast this year, but I, I think, like, I'm, I don't know if you're talking about, like, I'm super excited for the same series this year. Like, it's going to be, so much fun, and this is just another thing so to get excited about. Yeah, and the Flyers are actually good, which we didn't see <laughs> coming. So that game oh, could really? matter a lot. That game could matter quite a lot. Well, this has been a good episode, longer than we anticipated, but we're glad it was. Love talking hockey with you boys. Um, I hope if I if I don't see you guys before the end of the semester, good luck on the rest of your finals. Um, yeah. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, enjoy your break, and, and all of that, and I hope uh, you guys get to see your families, do all, all that good stuff. Uh, and uh, season's greetings, well wishes of this time of year uh, from everyone at WFUV Sports and 5 on 3. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy your holidays. If we don't get an episode out before the holiday itself, uh, enjoy, be with family, love each other, you know, all that stuff. Uh, peace and love, George Harrison. Anyway, all right, that is going to conclude our episode of 5 on 3, 5 on 3 is a production of WFB Sports for Lou Orlando, Michael Matouche, James Burley. We'll see you guys next time.